wonder whether we can turn to that little prophecy of Job. I want to read just a few verses from it. First of all, in the first chapter, and uh, verse 3 and 4. That which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten. That which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, hath the caterpillar. pretty well describes our present situation. It just seems to me that we are watching everything destroyed that so dearly was placed in national life. Whether it is the states or whether it is European nations or Britain, all that others have martyred, shed their blood, to bring to us and give us constitutional freedom and rights that they have died for us to enjoy and have um, are being destroyed secretly, just quietly. The whole thing is happening. In the same prophecy and in um, chapter... Um, where, where am I now? Um, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the assembly. Assemble the old men. Gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth from his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thy heritage to reproach, that the nations should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? And I want to add to that <clears throat> from the book of Daniel and uh, chapter 9. Daniel and chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, um, of the seed of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet for the accomplishing of the desolations of Jerusalem, even seventy years. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, 
who keepeth covenant and loving kindness with them that love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and have dealt perversely and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even turning aside from thy precepts and from thine ordinances. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets that spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of face. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel that are near and that are far off, to all the countries whither thou hast driven them because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord, to us belongs confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even turning aside, that they should not obey the vo- thy voice. Therefore hath the curse been poured out upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done unto Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil is come upon us. Yet have we not entreated the favor of the Lord our God that we should turn from our iniquities and have discernment in thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched over the evil and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and has gotten thee renowned as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, let thine anger and thy wrath, I pray thee, be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are round about us. Now, therefore, O our God, Hearken unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercy's sake. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake. O my God, because thy city 
and thy people are called by thy name. Shall we just have a, a word of prayer? Beloved Lord, we want to thank you as we come to the ministry of your word this evening. That Lord, you have provided for us an anointing. We recognize it, Lord. We can say a lot of words without the anointing and it will mean nothing. But Lord, we want to praise you that you have provided anointing both of the speaking of your word and the hearing of it. And into that anointing which you have provided for us by your finished work on Calvary, we now stand by faith. Give a double portion of that anointing for this evening, Lord. Challenge our hearts, instruct us, and lead us in the way that we should go. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. What are we to do? Good question. The church, and I mean the real church, has failed. We have been complacent. We sing our hymns. We read his word. We have even our very boring prayer meetings. We have all kinds of routine that belong to us and ritual. And we have just coasted along whilst this terrible thing has eaten away like the locusts, until nothing is left. All that was so gloriously given to this nation and at a great cost has been whittled away before our eyes. What are we to do? There is, in fact, only one answer. That answer is intercession. Now, the problem <clears throat> with intercession is that it is a word that, like being born again, is banded about in this nation as in other Western nations it has no meaning. We speak about born-again presidents, born about this person, born again, that person, born again. And very often they're not born again. We speak about intercession very often, and it's not intercession, it's prayer. There is a vast difference between prayer and intercession. Prayer is the pouring out of the heart. The Lord Jesus said, ye have not because ye ask not. That's prayer. We simply pour out. We don't know what the will of the Lord is. We don't know what way he is moving. But we pour out our heart to him, plead with him to hear us and to answer our prayer and longing that the Lord will vindicate himself, his truth and his name. Intercession is in another dimension. 
Intercession is the transfer by the Holy Spirit of the intercession and burden that is in the heart of the Lord Jesus. It is not a question of not knowing what is the will of God. Intercession begins with a knowledge of the will of God. You remember Abraham? He only could intercede when the Lord revealed to him that he was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. Then Abraham began his intercession. You remember Moses? When the Lord said, stand aside, Moses, I'm going to destroy this people. I am sick to death of them. Murmuring all the time and everything else. No matter what I do for them, the way I lead them, the way I provide for them. And then he said something which most uh, men particularly would be only too happy about. He said, I'll make of you a great nation. Well, that should have... um, struck a chord in Moses' heart. But Moses instead began his intercession and said, Lord, how can you do this thing? You brought this people out of Egypt. Everybody knows you did it. It was miracle after miracle after miracle by the blood of the Lamb. You brought them out of Egypt. And now you're going to destroy them? What will the nation say? He saved them to kill them, to destroy them. So his intercession began. Perhaps Daniel is the greatest example of intercession. Actually, there are great turning points in divine history. Abraham was such a turning point. Moses was a turning point. Joshua was another turning point. Samuel was a turning point. David was another turning point. And Daniel was yet another. And every one of these are intercessors. It's almost as if the Lord has placed at every turning point in his plan and program an intercessor. To be an intercessor is the highest calling any child of God would have. Far greater than being an apostle. Far greater than being a teacher. Far greater than being a prophet. Far greater than being a shepherd. It is the highest calling that God can call any child of his into. This is why in our Jewish tradition, Daniel, who is for most Christians, the prophet par excellence, he is 
the peak of prophecy. We have all kinds of things that he saw and understood and wrote down. But in our Jewish tradition, you won't find Daniel amongst the prophets. He's in the writings, the Ketuvim. Because the rabbi said to be an intercessor is of a much higher and greater calling than to be a prophet. And here I've read to you the most extraordinary paraphrase, praise of the prayer ministry, the intercessory ministry of Daniel. It all began in his quiet time. He was reading the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. And suddenly he came across this word. Seventy years are determined for the desolation of Jerusalem. Now Daniel was the most important man next to the sultan. The emperor. On his desk were all the various decrees that the emperor had made, which had to pass through his hands and then to the other um, leaders of the nation before finally it became law. He was a very busy man. Many people tell me they're far too busy to be intercessors. But you couldn't be more busy than Daniel. His day began early and went on till late at night. His desk was filled with papers that he had to read through, study, and pass on, and then get back and get a final royal signature before they became law. No man could have been more busy than Daniel. And yet Daniel is the intercessor in the Old Covenant. Somewhere he found time to be an intercessor. I'm sometimes told by businessmen that they can't possibly be intercessors because they have a business to bother about. I'm told sometimes by housewives that they are far too busy with children in the home and difficult husbands to be intercessors. <laughs> Everyone has an excuse for not being an intercessor. But Daniel is the best example we have of an intercessor. If it had not been for the intercessory ministry of Daniel, the Jewish people would never have returned to the land. And they would never have rebuilt the temple and never have rebuilt Jerusalem and its walls and never rebuilt Bethlehem so that the prophecy of of Isaiah could be fulfilled, but thou Bethlehem, of Micah, could be fulfilled, but thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which art little amongst the thousands of Judah, out of thee shall he come forth that shall be the ruler of my people Israel. Speaking of Jesus, 
Or when my when Malachi said, and the Lord shall suddenly come to his temple. There was no temple. It was the intercessory ministry of Daniel that brought about the return to the land and the rebuilding of the temple so that that prophecy of Malachi could be fulfilled. Or many others I could uh, speak about. I I mean, there there was no Nazareth. They'd all been destroyed. But uh, they went back, the people of God, to the land And the most amazing thing about Daniel was that he didn't go back with them. He lived for their return and never went back. His grave to this day is in Iran. Why didn't he go back? Because typical of an intercessor, he had laid down his life. It would have been the best thing for him to go back. It would have been the most pleasing thing and the most self-fulfilling thing. But he knew that there were enemies of the people of God in the high administration of the Persian Empire. And he knew that he had to stay to his last breath to guard the return of the Jewish people to the land and to the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and its walls and all these other cities. So he stayed until he died. This intercessory ministry of Daniel is incredible. If I may make a few comments about this matter further than what I've said, You and I will never be intercessors until we have recognized two or three very simple things. First, we have to be unreservedly under the government of God. Now let me put it in New Testament terms. We have to be unreservedly under the headship of the Lord Jesus. What he says is where our intercession begins. What he reveals is the the quest for our intercession. Now, Daniel interceded alone. We don't hear of the three friends being with him. They were close friends. They shared with him in everything. Whether they were with him in the intercession, we don't know. We only have here the paraphrase of his own ministry. But it is very interesting to me that in the New Testament, intercession is very often corporate. Because if you're dealing with principalities and powers and world rulers of this darkness and hosts of wicked spirits in the heavenlies, you cannot deal with them alone. 
You will notice that when Paul speaks about it, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principal powers. It's a corporate thing. When you put the armor on, it's not only you personally, it's the rest of us. Together we put. And even more interesting is this question of the headship of Jesus. You see, a good prayer meeting is not pot shots fired by everyone here, there, and everywhere, often at the, the um, enemy, and then at one another at times when we don't agree with one another's prayer or the theology of the prayer that's offered. Um, we get that kind of thing where the infighting is very real. I remember, I remember on one occasion um, here in the States, in, um, in uh, uh, Hendersonville, in the first Baptist church, they asked me if I would uh, take a school of prayer there, and of course people came from all over the place for it. And uh, it was a, a good time, but um, I've never forgotten uh, one of the occasions for intercession, we were having practical times of intercession together. Now, I told everybody, we cannot have these times unless you're prepared to be corrected. Stay away if you're not prepared to be corrected. But they all came, and we had some marvelous times of, of um, intercession and prayer. And I remember that they paid for a certain brother I knew very well. And they did not even know him. But in intercession, they actually got to the heart of that brother's problem. Like an onion being peeled. Little by little, they undid it in prayer. One after another, after another. And they didn't even know him or anything about him. Until finally they began to pray that the Lord would really deal with him. But there was an old brother there who suddenly piped up after there was a little quietness and he piped up and said, we must pray for our sister Jessie in Florida. So I said to him, what's wrong with our sister Jessie in Florida? He said, well, I had a phone call early this morning that she, um, she's desperately ill. And uh, so then I've never heard anything like it. Someone got up immediately and said, we pray for our sister, you've got to heal her. Because it's all in the book. There's no such thing as ill health or disease. You must heal her. And if you don't, you're a liar. With that, others came in and said, Lord, we can't possibly call you a liar. That is the most terrible thing. And before long, the whole group was firing at one another. We had the most wonderful the the theological discussion as to whether, the, whether healing was an absolute must and uh, uh, there was no, nothing else or whether there were times when the will of God was to take somebody. It was dreadful. <laughs> After about an hour of this, I just let them go on. They were enjoying so much killing one another. I thought it was best to let the thing take its course, and at the end of it I just said very weakly, Lord, bless this mess. <laughs> and we all went for lunch. 
<laughs> at lunch, there was a phone call from Florida. Our sister Jessie had gone to the Lord at eight o'clock that morning. It was now two o'clock. I couldn't wait for the reconvening of the meeting. <laughs> as soon as they all came together, I said, it seems to me that you, dear evangelicals, are mostly Roman Catholics because you've spent a few hours this morning praying for the dead. <laughs> Our sister is with the Lord and you are all praying so frantically for her that she was with the Lord already. From this, we learnt one single thing, that sometimes sentiment can get in the way of the Lord. Coming back to this matter of intercession, isn't it incredible that when you have a group of people who are under the headship of Jesus, listen, you discover that your members of a body. It's not you and the Lord alone. It's you and your fellow members. And if we all are waiting for the word from the Lord, the Holy Spirit becomes the conductor. Everyone watches him. I mean, can you imagine a symphony if someone with the cymbal just clanged it the whole time, like the way, no matter what? It would be a mess if people playing the violins played the violins just as they felt they should, without any conductor. But a, a time of intercession is basically, when it's corporate, is something marvellous. It is the reality of what we believe. The head at the right hand of God by the Holy Spirit is harmonizing everybody to be together. So, it is the first thing. It is the headship of Jesus. Here's the second thing. Nobody can be an intercessor who does not recognize that this world is essentially a spiritual world. I will say that again. You cannot be an intercessor unless you recognize that this world is essentially a spiritual world. It's not just taste, touch, and seeing with these eyes. It is what you don't see with these eyes and what you cannot touch with these hands. Those are the real things. Where is the Lord Jesus? Do you see him? Not with these eyes. He's at the right hand of the Father, enthroned. What are these principalities and powers? You can feel them. You can see their action. But they, they're spirits. Invisible to these eyes. So intercession is basically only when your eyes are open. You will remember the wonderful story 
of um, Elisha. You remember that the king of Syria was very upset with him. He called together his top generals who said, there's something wrong. He said, whatever I say in my bedroom, this prophet in Israel hears. And then he takes action. He said, we've got to put an end to it. He said, I want you to send a battalion, surround the place where he's living in Dotan, and get him. You know the story. Elisha had a fellow who was looking after him. He was cooking his breakfast, looking after him, doing all the little odds and ends and so on. And uh, he got up early in the morning while the prophet, I imagine, was still asleep. Maybe he was praying, I don't know. And he looked out the window and he saw what seemed to be a Syrian soldier. He thought, that's funny. He went to another window and looked out and there were three or four more. He went to another window and there were more. Then he realized, we're surrounded. We're surrounded by the Syrians. Then he fled to Elisha, shook him and said, Sir, we are completely surrounded by the Syrian army. And Elisha prayed the shortest prayer in the Bible. (laughs) He didn't sit down with his servant and give him a Bible study, which some of us would have done. He didn't sit down and try to explain to him that um, there are things you can't see with these eyes that are the important things. Instead, he prayed the shortest prayer, Lord, open his eyes. And in a single moment of time, Elisha's servant's eyes opened. And then he saw the whole mountainside filled with the armies of God. In other words, his whole attitude was changed in a single moment of time. He saw a spiritual world and understood that the Lord was present. And you know the rest of the story. You know how Elisha said, Lord, blind them. And the Lord blinded them. Then he said to his servant, go and chain them all one to another, rope them together, and take them down to the king of Israel. You know the whole story. This question of undersea will never be an intercessor. You can be a prayer, a prayer warrior. You can be a person who prays, but you will never be an intercessor unless you recognize this world is essentially a spiritual world. And therefore, the only way you can deal with it is spiritually. That's why the weapons of our warfare are mighty before God. In the Greek, it simply says in the presence of God is one way of translating it. But what it means is this. The weapons of our warfare are only operative when the Lord is present. You cannot use warfare weapons spiritually without the presence of the Lord. It's another enforcement of what I've just said about his headship. Thirdly, intercession begins with the knowledge 
of the will of God. Once we know what the will of God is, then intercession begins. Because we can stand together with the Lord for the fulfillment of his will. It's not hit and miss. We know what his will is. And now we can, we've got it in the patent prayer of the Lord. I've never tired of Sorry if I've said it many times to you before, but in that pattern prayer of our Lord, which you, we call our Father, um, in the pattern prayer he said, Our Father who art in heaven, no problem there. Hallowed be thy name, no problem there. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, Greek, as in heaven, so on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. You will notice that everything is present. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray, thy kingdom come, it's not, oh Lord, we believe that in the very far distant future, your kingdom is going to come and we thank you for it. And one day, your will is going to be done as it is in heaven, so on earth. It means that the throne of God has to come through us to whatever situation or circumstances we are in. In other words, we have to know what the will of heaven is. Once we've got a knowledge of what the will of God is on any given situation, we can, we can pray, Lord, let your kingdom come into this situation. Let your throne rule in this situation. Let your will be done as in heaven, so on earth in this matter. In other words, intercession is the enforcing of the will of God. When everything seems against. This is very, very important to understand, especially with Daniel. You see, if you will forgive me for putting it this way, um, Daniel was not a good charismatic. If he had been a good charismatic, this is what he would have done. Now, I'm saying this amongst people of the charismatics. You understand that I am myself. He was saying, Lord, I don't really know what your will is, but I do hope that you're going to do something about Jerusalem and the Jewish people. He could have pleaded and so on, but he was quite different. He had discovered by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Jeremiah, a prophecy Jeremiah had given that 70 years were determined. Now here is the second extraordinary thing. He not only discovered that 70 years were determined for the desolation of Jerusalem, 
what he re- the Holy Spirit revealed to him is when, where those 70 years began. Because most Bible teachers believe it was with King Zedekiah, the last of the kings of Judah. But it wasn't. It was King Jehoiakim. When suddenly Daniel had a, his, he had an imperial mind, if you understand what I mean. He, had, he was in a huge empire. He, he understood all the inner, inner things about empire politics and so on. And very quickly, he, ca- he calculated it. Good gracious, we have only two years to go. We're nearly there. The 70 years is nearly exhausted. Now, if he'd been, as I said, a good charismatic, he would have said to Shadrach and Meshach and Avednego, come on, boys, let's have a ball. We'll have a marvellous time of praise together. We'll just worship the Lord because he's going to do it. Instead, look at Daniel. He throws ashes on his head. He clothes himself in sackcloth. And he starts to fast. You think, what has he read in Jeremiah? That's why he was a real intercessor. He had discovered what the will of God was. And he had discovered by the Holy Spirit when the 70 years began. And therefore, when they were going to end. And then, he got to work. And here we have an incredible pricey of the kind of ministry, prayer ministry, he had. It's almost as if he had no faith. Lord, he says, forgive this people. See what they've done. We have... He doesn't even say they, they, they. He says, we, we have dealt perversely. We have sinned against you. We, to us belongs confusion of face. You could feel you want to get hold of him and shake him and say, Daniel, you're the one who wouldn't eat the king's dainties. You believe so much in the kashrut law, the kosher law, you wouldn't even defile yourself with some of these things they eat. You were absolutely, you could have lost your life. You were so faithful to the Lord and to the precepts of the Lord, to the law of Moses. But dear Daniel, he had understood something about intercession. It was this, that when the Lord reveals his purpose to you, we have to pray it into being. Then you understand your kingdom come, your will be done as in heaven so on earth. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? If we're not walking with the Lord, if we're not hearing the Lord, we're in problem. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Now, I know a lot of specially fellows who feel the Lord would never talk to me. He speaks to ladies. Well, I don't think he speaks to men, you know. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, 
you can block the Lord speaking to you because you don't believe he ever will. There used to be a lady who was a burden to us in Halford House. She lived about 60, 70, 80 miles away. And she was always trying to get through to me. Um, so the whole staff at Halford would s save me from her. Either by trying to talk to her or by trying to fob her off in one way or another. She was an absolute menace. But she used to get through late in the evening when I was still studying for Bible study. And I would take up the phone, I was the only person in the place, and she would then burst out and say, Oh, praise the Lord! I pray that I would get through to you. The Lord has given you such wisdom. The Lord has blessed you with a spirit of counsel and wisdom. And I need it. And within she would pour out the problem. I couldn't get a word in edgeways. You couldn't say, sister, shh, shut up for a moment. You couldn't. <laughs> You couldn't say a thing to her. She poured out like a great torrent. This whatever it was. And then she would say, suddenly without even breathing, she would say, Thank you, dear Lance, for counselling me in this way. You have counselled me with such wisdom. God has given you an incredible wisdom. Thank you. And with that, she put the phone down. I never had a chance. So when she used to phone, I used to just say, yes, yes, and put the phone down and carry on with my Bible study. <laughs> then I would take it up and say, yes, yes, and put it down and carry on as well. I mean, it was just a waste of time. As far, I mean, she didn't want me to say anything. She was deluded. She actually believed that I was counselling her and I never got a word in edgeways. Do you know that's like many Christians? They say to the Lord, Lord, you're full of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in you. The spirit of counsel, wonderful counselor. Lord, it's wonderful, wonderful. You're so wonderful. I worship in your footstool. And we never give him a chance to say anything. We put the phone down and sort of, that I've had a wonderful time with the Lord. He's never been able to say, some people would drop dead if the Lord said, shut up. <laughs> I have something to say to you. I think Phil about this in some of our prayer meetings. We never expect the Lord to speak to us. But the Lord can speak to us. Sometimes through someone has a scripture that they've had really laid on their heart during the time, and they give it, and suddenly it's like a shaft of light that comes into the whole intercession. Daniel actually saw the children of God go back to the land. So incredible was Daniel's intercessory ministry that Gabriel, who was sent to him, the archangel Gabriel, 
דבר, הוא נאמבר וואל, כן, שוסו אסיאל, מיכאל, גבריאל, ואחרים. When Gavriel finally got through to him, he said, I'm so sorry. I should have been here right at the beginning. But I got into a fight with the prince of Persia and with the prince of Greece. And I really had to help them. You're, you're Michael. I had to help him. But finally, I'm here. And then he said the most incredible thing. He said, the moment you started praying, God said, Gavriel, get down there. Tell him, oh man, greatly beloved. Your prayer was heard the moment you opened your mouth. I find it incredible. <clears throat> I'm in my Jewish imagination, I just imagine Gavriel holding on to the sides of the lintels of the door, coming in very shaky, feathers all over the place, <laughs> halo on one side, saying, I've been in a real big scrap. And I can hear Daniel saying, scrap? What scrap? Well, it was the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. They were fighting with your prince Michael. But anyway, I'm here. And now I want to tell you. And then he gave him what we call the mathematical prophecy about the coming of Jesus. That must have transformed uh, Daniel's intercession. Because he suddenly realized all that I'm suffering, the position God has given me in the Persian Empire next to the Sultan. It's not by accident. It's to do with the coming of the Messiah. It is these, this land has to be rebuilt. The temple has to be rebuilt. The city of Jerusalem has to be rebuilt. These cities have to be rebuilt. So that certain prophecies can be fulfilled and the Messiah can come on time. That must have transformed Now, it, is it fanciful of me to say that you dear folks here in the States, if once the Lord were to bring you into real intercession, it is not to do with America continuing to be a superpower. It's not just God bless America. It's the coming of the Lord. And it is the fulfillment of the purpose of God, not only for the United States, but for the nations, and of course, above all, for Israel. I don't know if what I've said, there is some inkling in you. Are you an intercessor? Do you want to be an intercessor? If you are going to be an intercessor, it's not just a little bit of time once a day or once a week or once a month. It will cost you your life. 
that you can conceive the burden that is in the heart of the intercessor by the Holy Spirit is no small thing. But once it is conceived in you by the Holy Spirit, you cannot get rid of it. It remains like a huge pain within your spirit. And the only way you can get relief is by praying, by interceding. Such is an intercessor. Now to come back to the United States situation. The greatest need at this present time is for intercession. There is nothing that can save the United States or North America other than a huge awakening. God has done it before. He can do it again. But is it his will? We have to discover Is it the will of God? Dear folks, there is nothing impossible with God. Let me give you an example. From time to time we had in Halford House prayer and Bible week. Dennis Clark, a blessed memory, and Alec Buchanan, also a blessed memory, both with the Lord now. They used to come and they would lead uh, these times of prayer and meditation and intercession. And I remember very well on one occasion, I shall never forget it, they said to me, don't you think we should pray for Russia? the Soviet Union. Should we pray for them to be free? So we brought it to the whole fellowship and I wondered, will they be able to rise to this? After all, many Christians thought Marxism was the Antichrist. There's no way that you're going to overcome it. It's going to take the whole world. But um, we brought it. And we had the most incredible sessions, morning and afternoon, on praying that Russia would be free and that believers would be able to take the gospel to the ends of the Soviet Union and wherever the Soviet Union had influence over other nations. In the third session in the evening, it was just marvellous. But uh, Dennis quietly walked across from where he was seated and whispered in my ear, do you think that we could break the power of the Soviet Union? And I said, what do you mean? He said that it'd be free. I said, free? So he said, yes, free. Well, I said, That would be incredible. So he turned around and went back to Alec, and I saw him whispering in Alec's ear. Then the two of them came across. And they said, we believe we've got to a point of faith where we can take action in the name of the Lord. 
And they said, we believe you as leader of the fellowship here ought to lead in this. So I found myself suddenly um, thrown into the lions, as it were. And uh, so I broke in and said to everybody, our brothers feel, we all feel, that we should continue further than this. We need now to take action in the name of the Lord. We have been given the keys of the kingdom to actually see that what heaven wills shall be fulfilled. Because many people have misunderstood those, that word about to, do, to you, to Peter, have I given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That's the old King James Version. Whatsoever you shall loose shall be loosed in heaven. It doesn't say that in the Greek. It says whatsoever you uh, uh, loose shall have been loosed in heaven. And whatsoever you lock up shall have been locked up in heaven. In other words, you can only enforce what is the will of heaven. Anyway, I said to everyone, shall we take action in this in the name of the Lord? That time of prayer turned into the most glorious time of worship and praise. No one who was ever there will ever forget it. It went on to gone midnight, just worshipping and praising the Lord. And finally, when we closed the session down, I said to everyone, more surely than I stand here this evening, the Soviet Union, it took a little while and then it happened it began in Poland with Lech Walesa Poland became free then Hungary it started in Hungary it spread to Bulgaria it spread to Czechoslovakia all of a sudden, the Iron Curtain disappeared like mist before the rising sun. We had lived our whole lives with an Iron Curtain ever since the end of the Second World War, and it just disappeared. Then Germany. The Berlin Wall was hacked down by the people. East and West Germany became one for the first time many, many years. It was incredible. Far more remarkable. The old hammer and sickle, the blood-red flag of the Soviet Union disappeared. And in its place came back the old Tsarist flag, red, white, and blue. Even more remarkable, for those of you who are interested in this, when next you see it on the World Service, say, of the BBC or whatever. If, and next time you see Mr. Putin, you may not be so glad to see him, but I mean, when you next see him, look above his head where the cabinet members are sitting. And what will you see? You see a double-headed eagle with the crown between the two heads. No one could have believed such a thing was possible. No one. I mean it. To believe that the old flag would come back, 
And then that the double-headed eagle for the Romanovs with the crown between them should once again be above the cabinet of, the, of, of Russia is unbelievable. But then even the last thing was even more amazing. A service of repentance was held. Boris Yeltsin was president, prime minister. He was present with the patriarchs of the Russian church, with candles and vestments and pictures of the Tsar, the Tsarina and the Tsarevich, they walked right round the Kremlin wall, repenting for the murder of the Tsar and Tsarina and Tsarevich. Could anyone believe such a thing? From that point, the gospel has gone all over Russia and all over Hungary and Romania and Bulgaria and Czechoslovakia and Poland and many other places. Even Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, these Soviet um, places. I remember being so amazed when I spoke at the Convocation of the Nations and they tried to put a robe on me. These were Kazakhs from Kazakhstan. They said, we want to make you a patriarch of the Kazakhs. I said, well, it's very sweet of you, but I don't know what the point of my becoming a, a patriarch. But anyway, they draped him up in this marvellous blue, which was very nice for me. I like that colour. And, um, and uh, there I was all draped up in blue. And then they said, this brother said to me, you see these six men? He said, every one of them is a pastor. They're all Muslims who found the Lord in the last few years. And every one of them is the leader of a, an assembly, not less than 1,000. This is what has happened. Do you believe that could happen in a prayer meeting? Something as impossible as the Soviet Union breaking up. If it is possible with the Soviet Union, with all its years of wickedness, by the way, I should tell you that the Marxist manifesto, which was signed in the Kremlin Palace 70 years before to the day, was nullified 70 years later in the same Kremlin. Seventy in scripture means a lot. Isn't that amazing? I could tell you many more stories. But I mean, you, you won't thank me for keeping you up late. But the fact, uh, the fact of the matter is nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe it? Do you believe that this government of yours, I won't say anything else, could be somehow changed. I don't know whether it's possible to change Obama, but I think the fact of the matter is that it is entirely possible to change the government. Is it possible to bring back the Constitution as it really was? Do you believe that those freedoms which some gave their blood for could still come back or shall we throw in our glove 
and say, well, it's part of the days of evil that we're living in. We need to find out what the will of God is. Then we've got all the weapons we need. It, it, it is when we're enabled by the Spirit of God together to pronounce and declare something, it will happen. I could give you so many examples of this, other national things that um, we, we've at different times been involved in. But uh, let me say again, we as the church have failed miserably. We've been so comfortable, so happy with our Christianity, so happy with the fact that Jesus is outside knocking at the door. How long shall we go on like or shall we do something? Only the Lord can fill us with his spirit and with an understanding of what his will is. We are moving into a world that will be a very different world. I'm not sure that we can turn back the tide but it's possible for it to be turned back in a country like the States and in a country like the United Kingdom and the Netherlands. Some of these countries that have seen triumphs of the gospel. But where are the intercessors? Some of you have heard it, me say it before when I close. There's an old Chinese saying, a journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. And it is the step that we need to take, which is personal, not corporate. We have to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be an intercessor. The Lord is so short of candidates that he would snap you up instantly. <laughs> there are not too many people who want to be candidates for intercession. But once you say it, he will take you. I thank God that I began very early when I hadn't been saved very long. I joined a Nepal prayer meeting. They were all white-haired like my hair now. Dear old people, the other young people said to me, you're not going to spend a, a one evening a week with those old fogies, are you? And I said, yes. And they said, well, you must be nuts. So I said, well... We're praying about Nepal and praying that it will be opened to the gospel. They said it'll never open. Never. Not in a thousand years. It's Hindu. And the royal family 
are Hindu. It'll never change. But I went along week after week. We prayed for, for Dr. O'Hanlon, Lucy Steele. They were on the mountainside uh, of the mountains that divided Nepal from India, waiting. They believed the Lord had told them that there would come a day when they would enter Nepal. And I shall never forget when the cable came from them. Tomorrow, we go over into Nepal and we're being allowed to set up a clinic in Nepal. It was the beginning of a whole work of God. And of course, I was only 15, 16, and I was so proud, you can't believe it. I told all those young people, you see, I was part of a prayer meeting that saw a closed country open to the gospel. Doesn't matter how young you are, it's best to start when you're young. Because really and truthfully, you're going to be a real prayer warrior and an intercessor. Start young. Now, you older one, don't give up. <laughs> Maybe you've never been an intercessor, but even you can be a candidate. You'll be surprised what the Lord does with you once you say, I'm ready. I believe this is the challenge to us in this situation that the United States is facing, North America is facing. The only answer to this is to discover what is the will of God and if it is an awakening that we really get together in prayer until it happens. Halford, we had four months of prayer and out of that came Halford. We had no idea that the Halford was the answer to our prayer. We even wondered whether it was the enemy taking us away from what we were praying for, revival and renewal, awakening in the Thames Valley. Then we had four years of prayer. Every night for three years, and then suddenly in the most incredible time of prayer, Lord broke in. It was as if we were looking into heaven. Someone said the walls have come down. And that's exactly how we felt. We decided how could we, we can't go on praying because the Lord has clearly spoken. So we said, what could we do? So we said, we'll have times of worship. We shall thank the Lord for the, what he's going to do. And um, it was during those times of that fourth year we first heard of a whole company in the west of Wales who'd been meeting in their normal routine, ritualistic way, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, knocked them all over the place, and did something extraordinary. Then we heard in the next thing that an old Methodist place, dead as doornails, and the Holy Spirit fell on them on a Sunday morning, and they spoke in tongues. That horrified us to begin with. 
They spoke in tongues. Then we heard about it in the north of England. Before long, we saw it everywhere, on all sides. The most amazing thing was this place in Putney, which is a dead place, and uh, part of London like a rabbit warren. And, um, and the Lord sort of fell on that little company there. The poor pastor was out with his dog, and he suddenly felt weak round the knees. And he saw a bench, went and sat on it, threw back his head and spoke in a tongue. He'd never, he was so anti-Pentecostal, you can't believe it. <laughs> and he couldn't believe what had happened. And his dog sat there looking at him as, <laughs> as if, what has happened to him? And then he went back only to find that his wife in the kitchen had exactly the same experience at the same moment. That transformed that fellowship for the first time in 40 years they had baptism. And healings and all kinds of things. It had happened everywhere. I shall never forget when someone rang on the door. I went to it, and there was a missionary from Nepal. I'd known her from a boy. She'd always sort of be very didactic, if you know what that means. She was always telling me, you know, oh, this is this and that is that. And I thought, oh heaven, so and so's at the door. But I took one look at her. She was radiant. I thought, it's not the same person. And then she said, have you time for a spot of fellowship? Well, she'd never asked me for a spot of fellowship. She was always there ready to tell me what to do or what not to do. And I said to her, have you had an experience of the Holy Spirit? She said, how could you tell? <laughs> It happened everywhere, all over the place. Now, I know there were others who were praying as well, but we felt so amazed that the Lord had used us for that four years of nightly prayer until it happened. Now, if you're going to see something happen in the United States, it's going to cost you. Don't think that you can just spend a little time and say a few prayers and then go. It will cost. And only the Lord can keep you at it until he finally does it. But that he can do it, there is no question whatsoever. May the Lord challenge you and me that we may be those who really serve him in these, this hour of great need.